Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern. And this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, organizing, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. In today's episode, Julie and I chat with Kathleen St. Villiers-Hill. Kathleen is currently the director of the Elijah Cummings Youth Program and an advocate for youth leadership and community building in Baltimore, Maryland. Our conversation will explore the relationship between identity, relationships, and action. With everything happening right now in America, we felt this was a topical conversation that would challenge educators to really grapple with how our own identity impacts the way that we relate to and engage with our students and each other. The importance of this reflection is a major theme in this episode and one that Kathleen takes personally and seriously. And, and how can I do this work if I don't know who I am? I don't know what I believe. And that was kind of my pathway to start going in this journey of community work. Of going, I need to know who, my, who I am. I want to work with these young people. I need to know me. Um, and, and I think that's why identity work is so important to me with young people. Because, uh, again, we are told so much about who we're supposed to be as Black people. Um, that I was just like, no, no, no. You're also saying what people are telling you who I'm supposed to be. Let me figure myself out so I can help you realize that who you are is beautiful and who I am is beautiful. No one's going to define us as white people. We're going to define ourselves. As protests around the country continue, many people are wondering what else they can do to be an ally for marginalized people in their community. Posting on social media might be a good step, but following that with some serious reflection about our identity, relationship to others, and action are even more important. We hope this episode provides some insight to help us on our journey. Our guest this week is Kathleen St. Villiers-Hill. She's an experienced leader with a demonstrated history of working in youth development organizations, and she currently serves as the director of the Elijah Cummings Youth Program. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you for having me. So can you talk us a little bit about what you do uh, with this program? And from there, we can just continue the conversation. Sure. So um, I am the director of the Elijah Cummings Youth Program. Uh, We love to refer to uh, to ourselves as ECYP. Um, We work um, with students who live or go to school in the 7th District of Maryland, and that is the district that Congressman Elijah Cummings represented since 1998 and prior to his death um, last October. And so uh, he founded this organization Uh, with members of the Jewish community, particularly to find a way to build relationships um, between the African-American and Jewish communities to major communities in his district. Um, And particularly do that um, by also rising up and building youth leaders. Um, So we've been um, doing um, work that is around leadership, community service, um, and uh, a trip to Israel uh, since uh, 1998, so um, the past what, 21, 22 years. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. I love, I love whenever two, two groups that sometimes can, can be in conflict. Um, I love youth programs that do that. So I've seen some like in South Africa, some in Northern Ireland, some in Cyprus. Um, and so I just, there's one right here in Baltimore. Um, so I love learning about that. And, and that, that's a, a key aspect of it. And wow, these kids take a trip to Israel. 
Um, that is amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, in the middle of the program, the program is a two-year um, leadership program for students um, in the beginning of their junior year. So in the middle of the program, right before um, they become seniors, they do an immersion trip to Israel for three and a half weeks. Um, they travel up and down the country. Um, but I think one of the cool experiences, they stay at a youth village called Yemenord, um, which is uh, located in Haifa. Um, and they also interact with Ethiopian Israelis. So you have mm. two populations of color that come together and in many ways can talk about their shared challenges that they have faced in their communities. Um, and also the differences of what does it mean to be black in the United States? What does it mean to be black in Israel? Um, and our, our young people also see Israel through their eyes. And so it's, it's also, you know, not only they get to understand why Israel is really important to the Jewish community, but then they also still talk about um, race. Um, they talk about class. They, they get to explore that in Israel. And in particular, quickly, like last year, when our young people were in Israel, there was a, a police shooting. Um, and that happened the day after they arrived. And I bring that up because it was a really challenging moment for them. They saw and entered into this space that, you know, I'm going on this amazing trip and I'm seeing all these things and wait, there's, there's violence. And, and, and I'm not saying that to say that that is, you know, comparing Israel to the United States, that, that that's not the point, but they were able to immediately have this shared conversation about, well, what can we do as young people in, in where we are in Israel and where we are in the United States, we face this, you know, this is a challenge that we understand and that we can also have communication and conversations uh, about. So, you know, I think that is also a really cool immersion experience that they have. I, I love that you, it sounds like this allows students an opportunity to explore identity in, in kind of a, a global context. And can you talk to us a little bit about how you help them navigate, I guess, kind of the tension between this, this mushy homogenizing, everyone is the same universality, but also not atomizing and separating groups to the point where you can't build solidarity. So can you talk a little bit about how you encourage or provide opportunities for students or uh, members of your program to kind of have those really difficult conversations and, and attend to the nuance in, in there? So I think there's a recognition that uh, we all are important. We all bring our identities to the table, but we aren't the same. Our idea is that how can we have conversation around what what we bring to that table, um, what our culture and our community bring that we love and that we can rise up, and and then let's share that. You know, tell me a little bit about why uh, Jewish community Shabbat really important to you, especially Park Heights in Baltimore, where our organization is based. There's a large Orthodox population. A lot of my teams in Baltimore see groups walking down the street, not using their cars. Let's talk about that. That's something I see, but, you know, I live next door to you and I never had a conversation about why this is really important to you and vice versa. What, what can I share about my experience that you can learn so that we can also break down stereotypes that we have of our communities that we can you know we can have really frank conversations about uh, racism we can have conversations about anti-semitism and privilege um and these aren't conversations that students have when they enter a college classroom um, they have it as high schoolers they, they experience this they are nuanced they're smart um, and it's giving them a space 
to ask questions, um, to, to, to be in conversation, and to also recognize that our communities have had tension um, and we've had opportunities to work together. Um, and how can we continue to, to be in conversation um, as we also live in the same spaces? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You sort of already touched on one of them, uh, Trevor. So we ask all of our guests to, and you also, Kathleen, you talked on uh, touched on another one of them in your intro. But we ask all of our guests to be very transparent, to be very thoughtful and transparent about sort of three key words that kind of your work is centered around. And uh, we, a big part of our, our work, our work with schools, our, our books that we publish, um, is is the notion that youth youth can be leaders. And so we really wanted to have someone on to talk about youth leadership. Um, and so when I asked you, can you boil down youth leadership and what you do with this program to three words, could you share a little bit about what, what those three words were? I can. I'm now <laughs> going, that's been a while. I, um, I, will, I will say them back to you. So you said to me, uh, you said to me, identity, relationships, and action. Yep. Um, and so we talked a little bit about identity. Why would you, so Trevor just sort of asked about that, but why would you choose identity um, as like a key concept around youth leadership? So I think it's important that young people know who they are. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think you can go out in the world and fight injustice or even like, I want to go on to the next stage of my life and that's college. I think knowing where you, who you are and where you come from and know that with joy um, is so important. So I think there's a lot of steeping into history, particularly in the African-American culture where we, we talk a lot about the negative elements that have happened to our community, but I also want us to recognize that there is joy uh, and that there is love. And so that is also a big part of, of the positive elements of identity. And I think students can't act or work in my second word relation if they don't know themselves you can't build a relationship with somebody else if you don't truly know who you are um and identity has always been just really personal to me as someone who is haitian american who has been steeped in what this idea of black is and blackness is and um also coming from the suburbs i i think there is a stereotype of what Black identity should be, not what Black identity is. And so the 7th District is also in Maryland diverse. And so I think it's so important that our young people know who they are, are proud of their identity. Okay, you can be Black and be from the suburbs. That's 100% fine because that stereotype on TV does not define you. Who are you? And so then you can work in relationship with another group once you know yourself. How, how do you encourage students um, or members of your program to explore their identity mm-hmm. in that way? Um, mm-hmm. we, one of our, our previous guests was talking about how so much of um, children's identity construction comes from the content and media they consume. Mm-hmm. So every single day they're having these ideas and representations about what it means to be black, what it means to be from the suburbs, what it means to be this or that sort of shoved in their face. So how do you create a space that can separate sort of the image or idea um, of you know what it means to be a certain identity or be a member of a community from the reality. Can you talk about how you, you facilitate that and create that space? So I, I actually really love storytelling and have partnered with organizations that allow students to understand how to tell their story and be prepared to tell their story. Um, so, you know, even this is not identity, but 
in Israel, like when our students go to Israel, they come back and they go through a storytelling process. So they don't sit there with a piece of paper and a pen. They can authentically tell what that experience meant to them through storytelling. And so I, I just think storytelling is a really important method for young people. Um, Congressman Cummings was an amazing, amazing storyteller. Mm-hmm. He could get up there and tell you his story. Mm-hmm. I saw um, him tell speak a you, couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I think and one he, time with he, you. <laughs> yeah, and he does it so well. So um, well. And he did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I remember, unfortunately, past tense, he did it so well, and it was mm-hmm. so powerful. Um, but he was also really clear that um, he learned as much from their story as mm-hmm. as the students learned about his story. And so I think lifting up stories allows students to also look at their lives. Um, so separate out media, let's talk about your life and let's talk about it through storytelling. Tell me a little bit about who you are through, the, through a method of storytelling. So you can, can kind of remove social media and allow students to really, I think, dive into themselves, dive into their identity and then share that through a storytelling method. And that's, I love that because that's also a key piece of culture for both the African-American and the Jewish community. Uh, many, mar- many marginalized communities, um, the act of storytelling um, is, is vital. And so that's really cool. I love that. And we were speaking last week to Angela Stockman about the fact that there is a tendency to, when we think about storytelling, to only think about print. And do not mm-hmm. think about the importance of oration, um, especially in non-Western cultures, as as a not as a storytelling device, but also a community-building device. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something on a very, very tiny anecdotal scale. I, I see sometimes in my in my classroom when we just do like a Socratic seminar and we have a conversation, and students kind of uh, talk about it in this like mystical kind of like whispered tone of like, guys, we're gonna just like we just sat in a circle, we had this really powerful conversation, and it was like the coolest thing we did. So like, we'll like do like a podcast or we'll do all these projects. And my students, like my favorite thing was literally just sitting in a circle with people who I typically wouldn't, you know, maybe talk to or or associate with and having a conversation that's meaningful. So as as an English language arts teacher, the storytelling piece is speaking to to my heart. I I love that. So can you talk um, and maybe build on that about how that storytelling process leads to relationships, which is one of the other concepts that you have. Maybe that's a portal to connection and community. Sure. You know, I think... um, you know, for us, it's so important that we allow for our space for our young people to take their story, but also listen to other stories and learn about a different community. And so that allows for, you know, I think authentic relationships to develop. Um, You know, I am also big on the idea of authenticity and um, being your authentic self. And again, I think storytelling allows for that method and then also allows for someone then to connect with you, um, to build off of that, to understand who you are. Um, You know, active listening is another thing. Listen to my story and then I'll listen to yours and then we can dive in and and start to build a relationship um, that is, is authentic. I love that. So many themes of guests that we've had on. I don't know if it's just me and Trevor's personalities or <laughs> I know, what, I know. but the, the theme of storytelling and the theme of authenticity and the relationship yes. between those two has been uh, definitely almost every single episode has had some some aspect of that. So I love that. It's so cool. And so your last one is action, um, which is, is, is obviously uh, super important if we're talking about youth leadership. Um, oh. Can you tell us a little bit more about what, how you define action and what do, what do the, the students in your program do for action? 
Sure. So particularly in our second year, our students go through a, a social justice curriculum where they explore Baltimore through the lens of the African-American and Jewish experience. Um, they learn about social justice concepts. We bring in um, really amazing speakers, but then we empower them to hold a, a workshop, a summit um, that they are leading for their peers. So it's, I want you to get all this information, but I also am going to empower you to come together as a group and decide a topic. You know, it could be mass incarceration. Um, it could be um, housing, et cetera. And um, you're going to lead this topic. You're going to, you know, do you want a speaker to come in? Do you want to show a portion of the film? You're going to have youth from around the city come in and you are leading this conference. You are going to start it off. And it, I think it was a really cool experience um, for us to have this youth-led summit. We started this two years ago. So Congressman Cummings is really excited to be there to launch this off. And um, we partnered with Loyola University. Um, and so our students were able to see um, in an educational format, but, you know, action is beyond that, you know, provide them with different tools and ways that they can see, not just learn, but also put it in action, see, you know, a space. We had, um, you know, a, an example, Brandon Scott, who currently is running for mayor in Baltimore, um, is uh, city council president. He was a speaker. Um, and what was so cool about that was, he also empowered the students. Like, I'm here as your speaker. I'm not going to take over. You're asking me questions. I, this is your space. And then he was supposed to leave. And then he's like, can I, sit, can I sit for the next one? This is, like, really great. And the kids are like, really? Okay. And they were like, "You're, I am here as a valued person in this space. Like, and I am being valued for my voice. My voice, you know, and maybe this is from deep when I started into youth education at Close Up, um, that our young people have power, not when they are able to vote, but right now. And so they are able to see, even with an elected official, he was really excited to hear their voice, to see them in community with their peers, and to know that this is, this is not the future, this is the right now. And so I'm going to empower them to hear and listen to them. And that's one way of action, that's education. There's multiple forms. And so we also really share with our students, here's one route um, and that's what we will practice and put in place. But there's more things that you can do um, to have a role to make change in your community. Yeah, speaking of uh, something that we talked about before we started recording was about, uh, well, so we love the idea of transfer of students um, applying their learning in new situations. And so you talked about that being one of your goals. So even though going to Israel, coming back to Baltimore, um, and then you, you know, in their future lives, can you talk about ways in which you've seen um, sort of alums of the program? And I know you're relatively new there, but any alums of the program or any other ways that students have transferred their learning to different situations? Sure. I was just actually talking to a partner right now who, uh, you know, two kids were on his campus, had gone through our social justice curriculum, and he was talking about how he, you know, wanted to do work with a particular prison and had tried and tried and tried. And the student who was part of our program was just like, I, I, I do. I, too, want to do work, and I know how to get in there, and I'm going to act. And she was able to make the connection for him. And he said, I had been trying for about That's two years. Awesome. That's right? awesome. Right? And then yeah. we had another young person do um, a podcast about COVID and the impact mm. on black and brown communities. Mm. Um, so, you know, we love to see them put their action and, and 
show and know that their voice is valuable and they can do it in multiple different ways. Yeah, and I imagine that storytelling skill set and giving them the exposure to, like you said, the city councilman who was there, who listened to them, um, really gives that confidence piece to be able mm-hmm. to, to transfer to unique situations. It's And it sounds like that is something that I, I feel like is really missing from education. Uh, it's, it's making me think of uh, Frary's idea of narration sickness, where it's just teachers telling students a story and they just, you know, understand it, they memorize it, as opposed to letting students become authors and creators and meaning makers themselves of, of their own of their own story. And I think that like a lot of times education, we're so busy preparing students for the world, we don't acknowledge the fact that they live in the world every day. And we, um, there's so much, there's so much theory and there's just not enough praxis. So I love that you are giving students an opportunity to go into their community and to, uh, to be involved. And is there, is there anything that you could suggest maybe to teachers about, about what they could do to make their classroom become a place that is giving the, giving students those same kind of opportunities. And yeah, obviously there are like, you know, limits due to the systems and structures of school. But I do think that when when students realize that their learning is embedded in this wider context and has a purpose beyond just, you know, ac- uh, academics for the sake of academia and can can help them, um, you know, lift themselves up, lift up their communities. Um, it's really powerful. So what, what advice would you have for teachers? Sure. So so I want to say my background, I'm a master's in community education, right? The focus awesome. that education goes beyond the classroom doors. We learn all the time. We learn at home. We learn yeah. in different spaces. And I think it's breaking down the fact that learning only happens when you enter a, a school. So for teachers, you know, there are a lot of out of school time, after school programs out there to partner with. So I would say the onus is not all, all on you. You know, there mm. are educators and steeped in different ways that also have different resources that they could have access to. I'm all about also about partnership. So like I talked about storytelling, but I work with an organization called Stoop Storytellers. I know that I, I, I am limited in my ability in some ways so I will work with partners who are strong in different areas and we can all lift each other up so my advice for teachers is you know there are resources that you can use there are organizations there are individuals that you can bring into ideally I'm not again not in steeped in schools but can you bring them into your classrooms we're now on zoom can they be on zoom calls you know can you harness the resources that exist within your community and bring them to the table so that you don't have to feel like it's all on you. That's a great suggestion because one of my questions for you was what about teachers who are afraid of doing controversial issues? So, you know, it's something that lends itself naturally, I think, I think to both social studies and language arts curriculum. Um, But there are, I've met many teachers who are like, I'm not going to talk about race. I'm not going to talk about religion. I'm not going to talk about ethnicity um, because it's too controversial. And so I'm going to talk about something else. Um, And so my question was, what advice would you have for those teachers? You, you sort of already answered it with bring somebody in if you're really scared. Um, There are people, people like you who are facilitators um, in this space. And now you just made me realize if we're online, the person can be anywhere. Um, and they, they can do yep. sort of a virtual um, facilitation session with, with teachers. But do you have any other advice for teachers who might be a bit hesitant to, especially we, we talked about before we got on the call, everything that's going on in the news right now um, in Minneapolis and, and what's happening about race sort of all over the United States. What advice would you give teachers who say, oh gosh, I just, I'm too scared to talk about race? 
I would want to know what the culture of the school is mm-hmm. that makes them scared to talk about race. So like, again, I'm not steeped in schools and I've only, I've been a community educator. And so when I first hear that, I think of, are you scared or are you scared of the culture that you're working within that may be limiting you and limiting the opportunity for you to use your voice? And then are you then, you know, go, my other, going back to where I said this, find someone, you know, I, I'm not an expert in everything. I'm big on finding resources, other speakers who you can bring to the table, who can lift up, a, you know, if it's race, class, gender, we talk a lot about, we talk about this a lot, but I also bring in experts to do that. I, I, I don't consider myself an expert in all things, I bring facilitators to to also harness the power of, of young people. So I, I guess my first initial reaction would be like, what makes someone scared? And so then look at the culture of your school, yeah. Um, and then, you know, also there are lots of resources, you know, anti-racism resources out there to steep someone in. Um, and then, you know, find the facilitators. So I. It's, sometimes it's maybe not putting all the onus on you. Um, you know, look at the resources that you have and, and use that. Um, but again, because I'm not in a school, I would also go like what, again, I, I go back to there, is there a fear to bring that to the table because of the administration and the culture of the school? Um, because I, I, I do know educators students in the school that have really great administrators who are about this work and I I don't hear fear from them right so so maybe getting that support from leadership um it could be a that's a good piece of advice that I hadn't heard of before of let's talk about it as a faculty maybe um first and so for any of our leaders who are out there listening right now maybe that's could be a good conversation you have as a faculty um so that then the faculty feels more empowered to have it with their students that's that's a really good suggestion I love that um, going back to this point about uh, like a lot of negativity sort of being the, the narrative around the African-American experience um, and even even in some ways a Jewish experience, how do you, you mentioned this um, sort of like asking students to find those those pieces of joy or asking them to separate themselves from the image on, in the media, um, any sort of go-to strategies that you use or what do you do if, you're, if your first concept is identity, what do you do to sort of actively combat some of the negative pieces that students might feel about their identity or about the, about their image? So, you know, again, I'm big on resources. Um, I think I, I luckily have worked with and still work in connection to a lot of social workers mm. who all, some of this is trauma, right? Some of it's trauma. Some of it, again, this, sometimes it goes beyond my skill set. And mm-hmm. I'm I, really open about kind of what I can do that is empowering, but I also am really cognizant of where I can where I can, I could be problematic. So I am sometimes very careful about word choice, um, you know, thoughtful about how do I want to bring up this issue into our, our space in a safe place. You know, we always want students to be safe. So, you know, one of that, one of the things that's really important to me when I set up our program is making sure that our students feel safe, that we can have these conversations, that they can be confidential. So some of that is really framing the space, the conversation at the time. Um, But, you know, also, you know, there's a a recognition that there is trauma that our young people, you know, there's, I feel it, you know, I couldn't watch the video. I I saw the picture and that was enough. I knew what the video of George Floyd looked like. I knew what was going to happen. It's trauma to me. It's, it's, 
it's bombarded on my newsfeed. That's what our kids also face. And so I also am really cognizant of that and, and think about that in the mental health world and also really seek out resources to think through how do you have those conversations in a safe space? Because they're trauma-inducing for our young people. They see it every single day and in many ways feel powerless. So I want to give them power back, but I also need to do that in a way that's actionable in civics but also through the lens of mental health that there's yeah. trauma that's being induced because of that that's I, very, I think it's, very good advice it seems like such an important distinction to mention that you you can talk about the black experience without talking about trauma and i think that it's uh it was a big realization for me because I've, I've been bringing in like a lot of like young adult literature um to kind of supplement my curriculum and have my students explore some of those ideas but i, I had a point where i had to ask myself like is the, are the texts that I'm selecting, is it only talking about like the, pro, the, the oppression, the problems, the issues? Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of teachers who might have a diversity of voices in their curriculum, speaking specifically for English language arts, but it's like, are we only centering the trauma, you know, of those people in those communities? So I think that that is something that um, maybe for teachers who don't have the background in, you know, trauma-informed pedagogy or they don't know how to navigate that, maybe that could be a, a place to start talking about identity without immediately diving into the trauma. So that's, that's something that I, I'm going to be thinking about. And I appreciate, I love that idea of, you know, the, the joy of your identity. I think that's huge. I also think there's, you know, there are lots of Black Lives Matters teacher community groups that are out there that are specific to educators. I went to a um, group last year before um, uh, Black History Month um, that was all about, you know, what resources are out there. Um, and they're there. They're, you know, in, you know, different communities. They're, if there's Facebook groups, if there's et cetera, they're out there that, that are pushing resources, that are sharing how you can be and how you can teach this in the classroom. Um, so I, you know, because again, I'm not necessarily in that space, but I know that that space exists. Um, and even use some of that, like, what can I do to bring that in the out of school time? Um, but they're really thinking about, you know, almost back to the question about, you know, is it fear in your school? But they're also thoughtful, like maybe here's what you may face in administration. Here's some some other ways to go about teaching young people about X, Y, and Z on, on this issue. So there are also resources and community groups that are out there um, really putting together um, lists and resources across the spectrum um, for um, resources on um, identity. I was going to ask you if you had any go-to things, but I think just a sort of a general search around Black, Live Ma Black Lives Matter um, education sort of groups, uh -huh. and you can probably find um, a, a decent amount of resources there. So that's a great suggestion. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about this idea of community and doing work that is embedded and ingrained in a community? Because I feel like as we move to, you know, a more digital culture, uh, this idea, and, and in addition to the, the you know, I, I live in the D.C. suburbs, and it's just turning into this giant suburban sprawl and, and mass, and this sense of, like, community and being anchored to a place is, I, I don't want to say it's like, I think to say it's disappearing is, is definitely over-exaggerating, but I, I think that it's a conversation that I, I think is important, is being aware of the ties that you have to your, your local community and your, and your context, and, and that being maybe even a, a and I'm sure that, you know, this is part of your work is like connecting with this, like the community of Baltimore, like you are from this place and that informs part of who you are in addition to these other parts of your identity. So can you talk 
about the importance of, of building community and just exploring your identity, having action and forming relationships that are tied to and anchored to a sense of place. That was, a, that was a big question. That was a lot. So I'm going to start. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I just think about it. I'm like, oh, another, like, I should have written that down. Um, so, you know, first thinking about community and to your point, mm-hmm. I'm actually, I'm not from Baltimore. I'm from the Maryland suburbs. Um, and that's important because I think that what I saw of the Jewish community was my experience um, in, you know, Montgomery County and what the Jewish community mm-hmm. looked like there. Um, and that is very different from Baltimore. Um, mm. And that was really important to me when I came up to Baltimore. So I've, I've been doing work in Baltimore since 2015, but I actually did work um, in community organizations in DC um, for 11 years prior to that. So part of it also too was understanding that communities are, are different, um, that you, you walk in and you have assumptions of a community, um, maybe because of, you know, you know, again, I'm steeped in, in Montgomery. I was, I lived, grew up in Montgomery County. There is a, a MoCo feeling. And then you're coming to Baltimore and there's definitely, Baltimore has its love. It has that change. And so I think it's one being honest too. Like I'm, I'm always really honest about who I am, where I come from, how that defines me, but my willingness to understand and have to be entrenched in a new community to be able to be part and support that community. So, uh, you know, another big part of my community is being Haitian. That is a really, really important part of my identity. And I work with a lot of young people who are, um, whose parents are new to this country. They may be new to this country and are, are dealing with what blackness is to them because they have to step into a different, I'm, you know, my community at home is Haitian, but then outside I'm Black American, and then I miss that and there. And I think that's really important to then how I think about my work. You know, I think a lot about then how I step into a space um, that I, you know, am always true about where I come from, but how I am now part of this community and what that means, um, and my willingness to learn. So I'm always with young people tell me, like, you tell me the new words, tell me the new things. I'm not going to be anything but myself. So I'm not going to steep myself into all your music sometimes because <laughs> that's just not me. <laughs> yeah. But you, but teach me because I have so much to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of that to me is where community work is so important. You know, a lot of community work is being able to understand and listen to um, and hear the members of that community to serve. I always say, I don't work for, I work with. I work with mm. a community. I work with my young people. I don't work for them. I work with them hand in hand. Uh, I work with their parents. Um, I work with the, my community members to then serve the mission of this organization. But it's never for. I worked with and I felt um, uh, and had the respect of a congressman because I worked with him because I believed in the mission and we worked with our community to support our community. And I think that is also so important in community work um, is that you're not working for a cause. You're, you're Steve, you're working with them. You're working hand in hand, whatever the cause may be. And for me, it's community education. So I'm working hand in hand to be, to work with our young people to help grow them as young leaders. And that idea, the way that you spoke about identity was so amazing and granular, like like who you are and who you're perceived to be, like you go to a different place 
and the, the, the norms and assumptions about who you are change. And it just, it sounds like you're, um, correct me if I'm wrong, like to be in constant dialogue with yourself about who am I in relation to where I am and who I am and who I'm with. Is that, is that kind of what you're, what you're advocating yeah, for? Yeah, so Julie may not remember this. Um, so I, so years, years, years ago, uh, Close Up did a program called The Great American City. We brought in young people from Atlanta, Oklahoma, and there's one other city I can't Miami, remember. Miami, Miami, Miami. Um, and Atlanta, and so, actually. So, you know, five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I worked with three of them. Okay. Um, and, and I remember this distinctly because, you know, I was young. I had just gone out of college. I, I was figuring out, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what am I going to be? What am I going to do? I, I kind of fell into civic education. It wasn't necessarily like this is what I, I knew I was going to be in this world. And I remember it was with our, our students from um, Houston, actually. I didn't mention it. it was the kids from Houston. And I remember getting food at, at the breakfast table. And this one kid was just like, why do you talk like that? Why, why do you talk like that, Kathleen? And I remember like going, what? I'm like 21, 22. And also like with, and I had the hardest time. I, I'm pretty sure I was the only person of color on that staff. And I had a really hard time with my young people getting them to an actionable point. And I realized that they were so stuck with my identity. One, because I didn't know what my identity was. They were questioning our stereotype of blackness. Why do I talk like this? You're not from my city. You don't know my experience. How can you work with me? And I was the one having the most challenge with this group of kids. And it took me a moment to go because I didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was. I, and I, I didn't know my, who I was. And I was struggling to get to, to their point, get to where they were, because they were still trying to figure out who they were. We were in these paths that were really struggling. And I had the hardest time. I cried that week because I could not get them to an actual point and that was my job and that was really the first time I had to take a step back and go you need to figure out who you were if you're going to be in a path working in community with people know yourself know that you come sometimes and you're not part of that community and you have to work x y and z but I I have been on a singular path to really understand myself and be really authentic to myself and I think my authenticity allows people then to be able to work with me you know I don't hide who I am I don't hide where I come up or grow up. You know, my experience is my experience and your experience is yours. Let's value that. We, and that to me is relationship building that comes to the table. And I, I think that moment and that experience has always stuck with me because it was that time where I really realized that I didn't know who I was. And, and how can I do this work if I don't know who I am? I don't know what I believe. And that was kind of my pathway to start going in this journey of community work. Of going, I need to know who, my, who I am. I'm going to work with these young people. I need to know me. Um, and, and I think that's why identity work is so important to me with young people because, uh, again, we are told so much about who we're supposed to be as Black people um, that I was just like, no, no, no. You're also saying what people are telling you who I'm supposed to be. Let me figure myself out so I can help you realize that who you are is beautiful and who I am is beautiful. No one's going to define us as black people. We're going to define ourselves. Mm -hmm. And how, just how a full circle. So you, you, authenticity was not one of your key concepts, um, but this so rooted in, in this idea of identity. And I love that you went through this journey 
that you now want. So you were what, 21, 22 years old. You want these 16, 15 year olds to know who they are before they get to be 21, 22. And, and, and you're living that. So um, kudos to you. That's amazing. And I, I love that you had that experience um, of really questioning yourself and, and sort of that has allowed you to be very transparent. I have worked with people who do want to hide. Um, maybe they're, you have uh, Haitian parents, maybe they want to hide um, some of those pieces. And I love that you put it out up front and that it's a key piece of your connection with your students and, and their trust in you. Um, in working with them. So I love that. That's really cool. <laughs> and, and now kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier, I'm wondering how many educators aren't comfortable having those conversations because they haven't explored their own identity. And they're afraid that something might come up that would it force them to encounter their identity, maybe for the first time in a public setting in front of their students. And, and I, I, maybe that could be a good piece of advice is, is for teachers to explore their own identity. And especially, you know, being white, we, we don't really have to encounter identity that much. It's just sort of the, uh, accepted as this amorphous thing. We, we, aren't, we don't really have to be in conversation with it as much, you know, being a, a member of the, the majority race. I, I, I wonder if teachers were to explore who they were and their, their different overlapping identities, if that would make them more comfortable having that conversation. Because how can you, I mean, to, to your point, um, how can you encourage people to explore their identity if you haven't explored your own, right? That, that's such a, that seems like such a foundational thing. I think that you mentioned um, opportunity versus privilege. So I, I feel like that would be, since we were just talking about identity, I think that seems like a, did I, did I read that correctly in one of the emails? Yeah, so that actually, that actually is, you know, something I think about a lot in terms of, and I've had conversations with, with friends, uh, uh, particularly people of color who, who also, you know, I had an opportunity, you know, there's op- my parents made choices that led to opportunities. My parents made choices. They came to the United States, met here, decided to leave D.C. and not live in the city and move to Montgomery County. That led to an opportunity to me to, for me to be in a stronger school system that allowed me to enter college and get a master's degree. I, I say that because I think that that isn't a privilege. I'm not, you know, education for many people is like education is a privilege no well there's opportunity uh, everyone mm. deserves an education um it, it is just i had opportunities that allowed me to be in in uh stronger systems that many kids of color don't and so the opportunity privilege it, it was just a lot about um recognizing um my own opportunity because I, I i won't say privilege because you know, I think, you know, for many people, they still see the color of my skin and my gender. Um, and something that also my father taught me early on is, is that people, you know, he recognized right when he came to this country, Haiti's poor, they, they have their own challenges. And he knew, like, to survive, you need to know the two strikes against you or that you were, at, you were Black and you were a woman. That always made me challenged. And I was just like, well, let me figure this out. So my, also my undergrads in history and women's studies because I need to understand the story of why that are the things that I had to work against. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just recognizing that more students need opportunities that um, everyone deserves uh, uh, 
to be in a school system that's going to meet their needs and that are going to lead them to a pathway to college. So I did college access work um, for, you know, 10 years and, and, and very truly, truly believe that everyone deserves uh, a post-secondary education. Um, that doesn't mean college. I think we're steeped in that everyone has to go to college and that is not the case. There's really great um, work um, that, that people can get with degree programs two-year degree, um, you know, certificate programs, but something post high school. But you have to get through, you know, elementary, middle, high school first. And, and you know, I, my opportunity allows me to make choices, you know, allows me to live in a stronger uh, county with my husband and my, my, my child. And that opportunity leads me to, like, the choices that I'm going to make. And so I think a lot about, too, um, what opportunities young people of color have, the lack of opportunities, um, and, you know, how, you know, again, as a community educator, ways that they can rise up um, to provide opportunities for themselves, um, to empower their parents, um, because we are always fighting against some inherent privilege that some people have just by being born white, by being born a male, um, you know, you get these ingrained power that, you know, a lot of people don't. Can, can you talk about the importance of just that little linguistic reframe? I'm a language nerd. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I, I love thinking about the associative chains that sort of trigger in people's minds when they hear certain terms, especially when those terms are, are tied to, you know, features of identity and um, politics and ideology. So can you talk about why you think that word opportunity is, is such an important piece that needs to be maybe added to the conversation? Um, I think it's just, you know, I think some of it was moving, particularly people of color who may say that I was privileged to X, Y, and Z. No, you had opportunity. Um, I think it's just, you know, going back to being really careful about word choice, because word choice is really powerful. So you were also privileged. No, I just had an opportunity. Um, mm. But I am still, I still, you know, you know, my black husband is it, my tall six foot two husband who does have, you know, a college degree. No one knows that walking up. You don't know his opportunity. That is not, mm. he wasn't born with a privilege. And so I think it's just really, you know, I had a really great conversation with some friends about just being really clear about the opportunities that we had as, as people of color. We were educators, um, some of them spiritual educators and, um, you know, really being clear that um, it's not a privilege. Um, one that also everybody has a right to education. Um, and, you know, some of that is just really just um, understanding how to reframe conversations with even within, uh, you know, the Black community to make sure that we are all rising up, all empowering each other. Um, because I, I, the Black identity is also so complex. Um, so, I, you know, a lot of it, and that was also, it was a conversation between, you know, folks in the Black community about word choices. Um, and being really thoughtful about the word choices that you use um, to empower the community. And so, that, you know, moving away from, um, you know, privilege to go to a school in Montgomery County, 
mm-hmm. you know, strong school system. No, I had an opportunity. And yes, everyone deserves. I love that. I love that to say we what and we we talk a lot about uh, concepts and what's the criteria. The criteria for opportunity is that it, it it's a path. Um, uh, that if you choose to take it, you choose to take it. If you don't choose to take it, you don't choose to take it. There's some element of choice around opportunity um, and, and that everyone deserves it. And so be, I love that. Be careful that you don't label education as a privilege um, that only some people are lucky enough to have, but that it's as an opportunity, everyone should have access to a quality education. Right. Even even think just like from a semantic standpoint, like creating opportunity sounds way it flows way better than creating privilege. Right. Mm. I'm going to create systems and design systems that provide opportunity mm. as opposed to that that provide privilege. Like that, that, so that's such an interesting I don't know, like the, the language around around this work, I think, is, is so fascinating because language is such an important feature to identity and, and can be a, a, a way into creating relationships and maybe telling stories, which will then lead to you to take action. So <laughs> I just yeah. want to acknowledge uh, and get explicit about the fact that that experience when you were 21, I'm not going to reveal to our listeners how old you are now, but that the difference in how confident you are about who you are so when those, so it sounds like some of the kids in Baltimore challenge you, but you're not going to cry. <laughs> you're going to, you, you have a firm foundation in who you are and breaking it down for them. Um, and, and still showing up with your authentic self with a level of humility about things they can teach you. Um, and so I just super acknowledge sort of how, where you've, how, how far you've grown um, when students challenge you and who you are and, and the difference of your 21 year old self versus now. So that's, that's really cool. Inspirational. I think I imagine for your, for your own students. It, it, it sounds like the, our big takeaway is everyone needs to go on an identity quest and grapple, <laughs> grapple with, with, with your, you. Um, So Kathleen, if people want to contact you or or maybe check out some of your work, where do you recommend they go? Um, So, you know, contact me email. (laughs) Maybe the website of the uh, program. And that also has my email. So www.ecyp.org. You can find out more about the work that um, I do um, and can contact me there. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's a fantastic conversation. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning the Transverse.